This is a podcast from Minute Media. In the fall each year we all congregate The bounce all gathered at the church of Pilgrim The scriptures reading from the book of Munson Our favorite verse, my God, a freshman German can obnoxious, what you'll face Ain't nothing finer in the land Now the 3,000 of our best friends It's Saturday in that thing Welcome to the Saturday in Athens podcast, where a Georgia Bulldogs show by dogs fans for dogs fans. I'm your host, Herschel Gurley, and we are joined tonight by our guest picker this week, former Georgia tight end Arthur Lynch. Arthur, what's up, brother? Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Having me, I'm happy to be here, and hopefully, uh, give you guys some uh, some good picks. But it's been a rough year for me, at least the <laughs> past three weeks. So no promises. Well, hey, I promise we'll talk football, but. Tell everybody about the exciting event you had going this weekend. You ran in uh, quite a big race, my friend. I did. I did. So the past 18 weeks, I've, uh, I had, I paired with a, a charity group, nonprofit organization called Haymakers for Hope. They focus on um, raising money, obviously, for cancer research, but also putting, you know, dollars raised in, into the pockets in, in the households of families who are being affected by cancer today in real time. Um, so, you know, it, they, they try to split it down the middle. Um, so I, Haymakers for Hope was able to get me a bid in the New York City Marathon. And so that was about in July is when I linked up with them, partnered with them and began raising money uh, and started training for the event. And that was this past Sunday. So I flew up to New York on Friday, uh, ran the race on Sunday, and I lived to tell the tale. I, I, I you know, I, I would much rather go block SEC defensive linemen than NFL <laughs> defensive linemen than run 26.2 miles. I can say with the utmost confidence that running the 26.2 is far more difficult. So, but I made it. Didn't walk at all, which was goal number one. Goal number two is to get sub four hours, and I missed it by ten minutes. Oh, I got four, I got four oh nine. Um, Raised, I personally, I just raised under just under ten thousand dollars. So if anyone who's listening to this donated to my um, donation link, I appreciate it and know that your dollars are well spent um, to a really good cause. And I think collectively there was eight runners that did it for Haymakers for Hope, and we raised over one hundred to one hundred fifty thousand. Um, and then this year alone for Haymakers for Hope. They do boxing events, boxing charity events, and they do other running events. I think they'll probably rate, they'll probably clear a million for all events. So it really is an awesome experience, um, both raising the money, seeing that money go to good, good use, obviously, but then also selfishly to kind of experience that running a marathon, New York City, weather was beautiful, got to run the five boroughs. It was, uh, it was pretty ideal. That's cool, man. We'll have to link. Uh, we'll have to get the link from you. We'll link it in the show notes so people can go check Haymakers for Hope out. That's cool. That sounds like a cool organization. Yeah, it really is. It really, is. it started out as a um, by Andrew Myerson, a guy out of uh, Boston, Mass. Um, that's how I, you know, got in touch with the the marathon aspect of it. But it, it they he had an interest in boxing, and so typically it's called Haymakers for Hope. Obviously, they'll like basically have two different people that will sign up, train for six months at a professional boxing uh, gym. Obviously, totally amateurs. There'll be guys in the finance world, girls in the fine, whatever industry in um, these different cities. And then one night every six months, they have like a card, a fighting card of different white, white classes. And it's usually like six to eight fights. Girls, you know, obviously girls and um, guys both will be on the card. And it's pretty cool. I, I've never seen the boxing event, but my, one of my best friends back home, he did the boxing event and he said it was the coolest thing in the world. That's how I got connected to the running. I, I wasn't quite ready to throw the gloves on, but I was like, <laughs> I was like, I'll dust off these feet and see if I can run a marathon. Oh man. I think you, I think you got to sign up for that next brother. I mean, look, you got, you got some kind of hand to hand combat, not only on the field, but I mean, you got some, some direct training as well after you stop playing. So I think yeah, that's next, man. We'll, we'll see. We'll take one step with that. Let, let me, let me rest these quads and hammies and then, and then we'll, we'll see about uh, getting back in the ring. 
Oh, that's cool, man. That's really cool. Yeah, my wife, uh, she used to run marathons when we got out of school and I always tell people that's how you knew I was in love with her because she convinced me to do a half marathon and I'm built for speed, not for distance, brother. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't think I'm built for speed or for distance, just mostly power. And it's uh <laughs> I, I gotta admit, it was an like it truly was a great experience, but you know, everyone always said I ran 20 miles, uh, it was my longest training run, and all my friends who had run marathons. And, and especially the ones who had ran, who had run this specific race in New York were like, you know, have you done 20? I said, yeah, They're like, well, if you've done 20, you'll be able to finish it. But just, so, just so you know, like those last 6.2, it's like, it'll test a man and a woman's will. And like, I was like, no, nah, I'll be fine. Like 21.7 hit. And I was like, holy shit. I was like, this thing is real. <laughs> so, but it was cool. It was cool. My sister jumped in the race. Uh, she lives on, um, on the Upper East Side with her kids and her husband. And, and it was funny. I was, I was running. I was like at mile 22 and a half and I'm running. And all of a sudden, like this woman, like a young woman, like runs at me. And I thought it was like a crazy ex-girlfriend. I was kind of like delirious. I was like, is this girl going to like, like spit in my face or something? And I like, I kind of come to it's my sister and she's like in her running gear. She's got like a backpack full of like liquid IVs and stuff. And she's like, you got this. We'll finish. So she actually ran the last three miles with me. And like supply with water and like gels. And it, it, it was a pretty awesome experience. Oh, that's incredible. What a great way to finish it, man. That's got to make it even more special too. So that's, that's really cool. Yeah, it was awesome. It was awesome. I, I, I honestly, I, I say, I say this, I'll probably end up running another one at some point in life. Yeah. Oh, that's great, man. Well, we'll definitely link uh Hey makes for hope in the show notes. Cause that's awesome. Um, well, we talked to you last time, what, right before the season started. So a lot has materialized since then. I don't, I think we knew they were going to be good. But I don't know if they thought it was going to be like this. <laughs> um, and I'm going to start with you, obviously, with the tight ends, my friend, because yeah. uh, I'm going to throw something at you that I saw on Twitter this weekend for the first time since 2013 with uh, quite, quite the tight end. The, uh, Brock Bowers went over 450 yards this weekend. First time since since somebody we know, Mr. Arthur yeah. Lynch. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, kind of cool to see them. I also saw something else. Uh, I think that I don't know if it was first freshman or just first candidate, but um, I saw Brock was on the the Mackey Award list and said first first guy since Orson Charles at Georgia. So yeah, for fi- for final like mid- for finalists, I believe. Right? Finalists. Yeah, finalists. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, if I remember correctly, we spoke in August because I was moving down to my new gig. And yep. and we kind of talked about the keys to the season. You know, we talked about the importance of uh JT Daniels, which I found to be interesting. That uh, Stetson has kind of stepped up in his absence. Yep. It'll be interesting to see how they finish out the season. Um yeah. But I know we, we put a huge emphasis on tight ends because we were, you know, the depth was an issue at receiver. Um, I don't know if we actually talked that much about Brock um, Bowers, but no, I, know we talked, I don't think I don't think we did. I know we talked about Darnell, and I know we talked about Fitzpatrick and a, maybe a couple of the other younger guys. But I knew that Brock was obviously the team. I knew they had they were about three or four deep at the position. So the success that they've had as a unit doesn't surprise me. Um, obviously Brock's kind of explosion onto the scene has, but we all knew he was good. Um, I just think it's a, it's a, it's a credit to, um, coach Munkin for identifying it early on. And honestly, uh, I'm a pundit now, even though I'm not in media, but like, unless you're on the team every day and you watch practice, like no one really knows who's good or who's bad. And my guess is they probably identified Brock like, practice two or three in, in seven on seven. I'm like, okay, this kid can get separation. He's quick. He's bigger. He's not the biggest tight end, but he's bigger than linebackers. Um, he's fast linebacker or he's, you know, he's, he's fast than linebackers, bigger than DBs. Like we can create mismatches here. So I bet Munkin probably was working things in early on. And that's why he exploded onto the scene, especially with, with Darnell being out and the receivers being down and, and you know, to Brock's credit, he's been able—he's been able to adapt early on, learn the playbook, and then make plays when it was presented to himself. 
So after that first like week one, um, we went to week two when he had all that success. I was like, oh, this kid's going to blow up. And sure enough, he did. But it is still good to see Darnell get some snaps, play well. You know, obviously Fitzpatrick's playing time has kind of suffered. And, you know, it's a credit to him for never complaining and just kind of putting his head down and playing. Um, but, you know, it's got to be tough knowing that, like, you know, you wait your turn and also you got these two young studs come by and there's nothing you can do about it when they're both kind of freaks. You know what I mean? Yeah, you talk about a loaded room, man. I mean, dude, it's ridiculous. John Fitzpatrick would start and probably be a featured guy at countless programs across the country, probably within the SEC. I mean, dude, he's a big kid. He runs well, catches the ball, blocks well. I mean, like, really good player. Um, I, I think has a good professional profile, to be honest with you. I mean, you look yeah, at what Charlie, so Charlie Warner did when he left the program. And, like, uh, yeah, I mean, they're just – they're loaded, brother. And – I, I kind of perked up a little bit in August. Coach Munkin did a press conference, and he specifically talked about Brock. And he said, "Yeah, he's kind of like an F back, like you know, because he's like he's not really an H. He's not really a tight end. He's kind of like we could just do a ton of stuff with him." Mm-hmm. And it, he said that, and I was like, "Oh, that's interesting, like because you wouldn't say that unless you were kind of marinating on what you're going to do with this kid from a talent perspective." And like, I, I didn't think he's going to have six catches against Clemson the first week. But like, um, yeah, it's, it's been wild, but like, I'm interested to hear your viewpoint on this because obviously there's a reason that he's the first one to hit 450 since you did it. It's been a missing piece of the offense for, for a while. It's felt like, and do you think they're just scheming it better this year? Or do you think it's a personnel thing? Or do you think it's a combination of the two? Like, what are you seeing when you watch the game at that position? Uh, I think it's a combination of things. I think there was significant negligence um, on the play calling uh, for the previous coordinators since Mike Bobo left. And you can say what you want about Mike Bobo as a fan. He knew how to get the ball to the tight end. Um, and as did Coach Rick. Um, and they, you know, I think there was like one year, and that was in 2000, maybe two years, uh, 2000 eight and nine when we had like down years at tight end, despite having some talent in the room, but 2010 uh, Orson was all SEC 2011. We had a stacked room. Orson was all American 2012 and 13. It was myself. And then after that, Isaac had a, you know, Isaac had some, had some pretty good years, but really it was once Bobo left, it was like a drop off in the, in the tight end, really in the passing game, I would say. Yeah. Um, we obviously had some phenomenal running backs, so it didn't really matter. But I think Monk, and, and, and I remember talking to John Lilly about this, who's now the uh, tight ends coach at UNC. He was the tight ends coach for the Browns when Monkey was the USC. He was like, you know, if they let Monkey kind of do what he wants and develop his, you know, his game plans the way he sees the, how the games are, you know, in his mind, he was like, they're going to do a ton of really cool stuff throwing the ball. And they're going to throw it and they're going to get into people in their playmakers' hands in different types of ways. And, you know, I think we saw it. We started to see that at the end of last year. Um, this is Monkey's second year, correct? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And we, I think we, I mean, obviously from day one, we saw it this year. Um, and, you know, I, I ultimately think we've always had the talent there. Jeb Blazevich is a good player. Charlie Warner, obviously, Isaac Nada. Um, those guys were all studs. Um, but ultimately, you know, if, if the, if, if the ball, if the tight end is not going to be a focused part of the offense, they're not going to get the ball. You know what I mean? That's just how it is. So I think Munkin has made a really done a really good job of, of game planning all three of his tight ends into the game. And when you have guys, when you're three deep at the position and then you have really good running backs, like we do also three deep with a good offensive line, it's incredibly hard to game plan. Um, I guess it because, you know, you, you have three guys that can run and stretch the field, obviously some better than others. And, and, you know, Brock is going to be faster than Darnell and Fitzpatrick, but all three can run up the seam if necessary. You go into a jumbo package of three tight ends and, a, you know, and a, are, are we going to run four verts out of a three tight end set? It's possible. Right. And I think that's one thing that makes the, this guy, these guys are unique. And I think that's one thing that uh, Munkin probably realizes is like, we don't have to be in a, you know, you know, uh, 30 percent or 11 percent with one tight end and, and three receivers in the back, right? We could go and and have three tight ends and still run pretty much everything we want from the passing game standpoint. Um, and it shows, right? And that's uh, I think that's going to be 
something that they're going to continue to utilize down the stretch because I think that's their best asset. Obviously, everybody's talking about the defense. They've been historically good so far, dominant. They've been electric to watch. They've got multiple guys at each level that are going to play in the league. But what's more interesting to me is that they have not been healthy all year on offense. Starting quarterback hasn't been healthy. Best wide receiver hasn't been healthy. The guy they thought was going to be the second best receiver hasn't been with the program. Uh, Darnell Washington, who they thought was going to be their leading receiver at tight end, was hurt most of the year. Has it been to you, it's felt like to me the offense and notably Coach Munkin has been a little bit undersold as it pertains to the success of the team. I think he's done a magnificent job utilizing the personnel that's been healthy to scheme guys open and create opportunities for guys to make big plays even without top-tier talent, say, being healthy. Because think, Jermaine Burton is just getting back healthy. Kiaris is just getting back healthy. All these guys you thought were going to be primetime contributors they really haven't been available. And so I just think the offense has been a bit undersold as it pertains to how excellent the team has been on the whole. Like, are you saying that or you think I'm blowing that out of proportion? No, I don't think, I don't think you're blowing out of proportion. I mean, I think, you know, and this sounds like, this sounds like it doesn't make sense, but the offense has not been asked to really go out and win games. That's fair. Yep. And that's, and, they're, they've been asked to do like you know take care of the football, get first downs, convert on third downs, and you know once you once you get get the lead, keep the lead, and like that sounds all very basic. You know, obviously easier said than done. But when you have the defense that we have, that Dan Lanning is obviously, I mean, you know, Kirby's obviously a defensive minded guy, but and he's recruited the guys to put them in a position to succeed here on defensive side of the ball. But Dan Lanning's a hell of a coach. I mean, he's unbelievable because mm-hmm. this is—I've never seen a defense like this ever. And maybe the 2011 LSU and Alabama's defenses, Alabama's more specifically, but it's—they're so dominant so early. It's like having an like it's like the entire unit is an impact player, you know. So, yeah. Um, to me, the offense is getting undersold because they're doing their job very, very well. They've never had to be in a shootout. Do I think they have the capability of being in a shootout? Sure. Um, absolutely. Uh, and I think they could have either quarterback under center and execute that game plan pretty flawlessly and go put up points to the board. But, you know, that's not what they're asking them to do, right? Um, when you have a defense that scoring defense is one of the best in the country, they're getting turnovers, they're getting – you know, they're, the special teams is putting you in, in good field position and position to win. It's like, you know, would it be nice to score 40 points like right away in the first half, you know, all on offense and throw for five? Yeah, sure. Could they do that? Yeah. Would Monk love to do that? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, the objective is to win the ball game. And when you have a defense like we have, it's you don't have to do too much. You don't have to show all your cards. And I think that's why they may be getting undersold, but I don't think it's because they are doing a, good enough job. I just think it's because of the, the circumstances that they're currently in. That's I've never seen a defense like this. And I don't think, I don't know if anyone ever has. It, it seems to me they have a really unique combination of elite talent at all three levels of the defense, but also there just seems to be zero selfishness. It's just guys being dedicated to the unit and I don't know, man. That seems simple to say, right? But in function, it's just not something you see every day. I mean, you got guys that are going to have good careers in the league, uh, whether it be Jordan Davis or Devontae Wyatt or Jalen Carter or Nicobe Dean or whoever it may be, right? Guys who could say, you know, I want to have stats or I want to do X, Y, and Z. And dude, they just, they're always celebrating each other, doing what they got to do. I don't know, man. It's just a, it's a different thing. It's been fun to consume and watch and, I don't see there being any drop-off. I know everybody's wringing their hands about, oh, well, they got to go into Neyland and play Tennessee, and Josh Heupel's got them playing good offense and all this. And I'm like, brother, I don't think Tennessee's scoring 14 points. I'm just going to say that right now. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't see yeah, I, I'm not, you know, it, to me it just comes down to, and again, I don't know Dan Lanning, but he's probably got the, and I'm sure obviously Kirby's doing a great job as well. I mean, he's the head coach. Everything trickles down from him. But to me, Dan Lanning's probably got these guys on like 
working as such a cohesive unit and in an unselfish way, as you mentioned, that it's just because they're completely bought into the mentality that Dan Lanning is trying to like have them play with. Like, let's face it, right? Dan Lanning could have left for to be a head coach last year. And yep. Jordan da- Jordan Davis could have left early, as could I I don't know all the guys in their ages, but I imagine there's probably two or three guys that could have left early. Mm-hmm. But I bet that they probably had a conversation before the Cincinnati game. And they probably had a bad taste in their mouth of how they had, how they played against Florida and Alabama. And they they saw the writing on the wall. And I bet Dan Lanning had a meeting with those guys and was like, hey, you know, I'll stay if you stay. You know, let's see this thing through. And when you kind of – I have – that's me speculating. I, I have no – I don't know if that's true or not. I just kind of – just watching how they react to one another, making plays, the unselfishness, you know, component of the defense, as you said, you pointed out, which is pretty evident if you just watch any of the games – and just kind of how much passion they play for uh, or, or play with, I should say, it's pretty remarkable. And my guess is they probably had this, you know, a meeting that was off the books and they were like, Hey, if we all come back, we have an opportunity to be pretty special uh, as a unit. And that's obviously coming to fruition. Um, now, maybe not, maybe they just kind of all came back and it's a coincidence and that's very well could be the case. But my guess is Dan Lanning, you know, he saw the writing on the wall of what this defense could be. Um, if they stay together. I think that's why they all stayed. Yeah, that's a great point. I wouldn't be surprised at that at all. And to be honest, it's it's benefiting all of them, right? I mean, they're all... Including Dan Lanning. (laughs) Including Dan Lanning, 100%. So, you know, they all made the right choice. (laughs) Hindsight's obviously 20-20, but they they made the right choice. Everyone Um, who stayed has made a lot of money, whether it be the coach or the players. 100%. 100%. Yeah, there was a there was a guy covering the game last weekend on we talked about this in our recap episode about I, I still for, I can't remember who the who the tweet was, but one of the media guys tweeted out there was a bunch of NFL scouts there watching the game and one of the scouts looked at the other scout and said I wish the whole damn defense was draftable. <laughs> and like <laughs> I think that says pretty much everything that needs to be said about it. <laughs> That's, yeah, no, I yeah, trust you man. I, I watch I watch a lot of football. My family has watched a lot of football. We recap on Sunday. I'll call my uncle or my mom, whose dad was a coach, and, and my grandmother, who was married to my grandfather, who coached for 35 years. And all of them say the same thing. They're just like, that defense is something else. And, you know, it's it gives the rest of the team room for error, which doesn't really exist in the SEC. And when you have a, a, one unit that is that good and dominant – it's just, it's such a hard, it's so hard to plan for and against as an opponent. All right. So the weekend, the matchup this weekend in Knoxville, what is your feelings and thoughts first on Tennessee? And do you think they will give Georgia any more pushback than anybody else has? Or do you think it's going to be more of the same as it's been the first nine games of the season? I actually think they'll, they'll give them some pushback. Um, because it's a 3.30 game, and, and, and here, here's what's going to happen. Georgia's probably going to win in by, you know, 14 to 28 points, anywhere in that range, right? I think it's it's not going to be a 55-3 game like we saw last weekend. I think I think Josh Heupel, is a, he, he's an equalizer as, as an offensive coordinator, uh, or as a play caller, I should say, excuse me. They just don't have the depth. I do think that the SEC should take notice about what Tennessee is doing. They didn't get the sanctions against them from the uh, fiasco that, that was uh, Pruitt. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're not going to have any recruiting restrictions moving forward. Um, so if Heibel can recruit, I think they're going to be a force to be reckoned with again after 15 years of being absent. Um, but I just don't think they have the depth, especially on defense, to stop Georgia. Um, but I think they'll move the ball. I think they're going to be excited. They're going to be at home, 3.30, CBS game. Um, they're going to be out to, to prove something. They've won a couple of games. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if they put up 14, 21 points. I just don't think they're – I don't think Georgia's going to – I just don't see any world where Georgia's not putting up 38 to 44, you know? Um, yeah. 
you know, I, and they might have a few trick plays here or there. I, I just think that Tennessee is starting to believe. Um, and I think they'll play well. They'll be tough. I just – they don't have the depth. They lost too many guys in the transfer portal. They haven't been able to recruit the way they wanted to. And, you know, I, I don't think it'll get ugly um, in the first half, but I think it'll, you know, it'll end up looking like a blowout towards the end, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, th- that's a good synopsis because I agree with that. I think this is one of those things where it could be an interesting first half, but yeah. I think I think the the Jimmys and the Joes will start to show in the second half. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt, Coach. Yeah, so I uh, I think that's it, and I, I just go back to to look, man. You're talking about a Kentucky team that just put up 42 points on that defense, and I wouldn't call Kentucky's offense explosive. No. So. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not so worried about Georgia scoring points, but you know, I, I think the interesting thing about this Tennessee team is Hendon Hooker's been a little bit of a, a revelation, right? Like he's a transfer portal guy that comes over in December and from Virginia Tech. And the the thought was that Joe Milton was going to be the guy. Yeah. And Joe Milton can hit the broadside of a barn. I don't know what's going on. The guy's got a ton of talent, all the physical skills, just can't throw the ball. I, I don't know. I don't know if it's, it's between the ears or, or what, but. And then Hooker has to come into play out of necessity almost. And you start to think now, if he'd gone from the jump, who knows? <laughs> Tennessee might look a little different, you know? But Yeah, and, and you got to think, you know, <laughs> Pittsburgh's a pretty good team. It looks like they're going to be the best team in the ACC, depending on this Wake game, how Wake finishes up. So they, lo- they lost a close one to Pitt. And their offense believes – and hooker when he goes in the game right and, yep. and that's yep. at the end of the day that's all you need as a quarterback you know even if the other guy's more talented if the offense plays a little bit more belief and excitement when a different guy goes in you got to go with him um so you know i if, if i'm a tennessee fan right which i'm obviously not but if i'm a tennessee fan you got to be feeling pretty optimistic about the future but we talked about it earlier like the defense is just uh, – Georgia's defense is just too good. And yeah. I, I do think they'll get yards, I think, because I, I believe Heupel's a good coach. And I and I believe that they're playing at a, a higher level than they've been playing on the offensive side of the ball in probably the last, like, three or four years. So I think they'll score, but I, I, it'll probably be, you know, some cheap points, you know, a couple of trick plays, maybe a blown, not a blown coverage, but just, you know, something unexpected, probably fake punt, something like that. but. Ultimately, you're probably looking at like a 38-14 game, and it might, it might be like 24-14 at halftime, something like that. Yeah, I, I read an article today in The Athletic. Their uh, stud corner, that well, I think his name's Alante Taylor, good player. He uh, had pick six last week against Kentucky. His NIL deal is with a cookie company in Knoxville, and anytime he gets an interception, the cookie company gives two free cookies to anybody who comes in the door the next day. So like, That's awesome. What a great deal, right? So they've started calling him the cookie monster. I just think it's excellent. Like I love all of it. I, I hope he, uh, I hope I hope he patents that or something with his face on a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so this this uh I was reading the article in the athletic today, and the cookie, the guy that owns the company, him and his wife own it. He said their cookie sales have just been ridiculous because people come in for the two free ones, and like you do, you're like, well, kind of maybe I'll get you know three, four more. Their sales are up like fifty percent or something. Oh yeah, this they're, pr- they're probably crushing year. it. <laughs> crushing I, it. I, I hope he. Ma- I hope he makes appearances and goes and like actually, uh, you know, hands out the cookies. That'd be hilarious. he does. So yeah, this is, exactly. This is, this is kind of the cool part, though. That was not part of the NIL deal. All he had to do was do one tweet a week, a video about the deal. But they said because he just on his own said, you know what, this is my thing. I'm the one that's the face of it. So he shows up during free cookie day and like spends time with the fans and signs autographs. It's a cookie like, monster, dude. <laughs> cookie monster. That's freaking awesome, man. That's an awesome yeah. nickname. <laughs> oh yeah. I love it. So I, I just think that's cool. Um, but yeah, it was an interesting thing I read today. NIL, man, fun stuff happening with all that. So I think it's a good um, thing. Oh, I love it. I think it's fantastic. Um, yeah. And I, I just feel like I kind of want to get your opinion on this because you'll have good insight into this. I've always thought this. There are certain guys that, dude, you could make a killing as a college athlete because you're marketable in a unique segment, right? 
Right. And your your brand may never be that. Even if you go on to a pro career, your brand may never be what it was when you were in your college years. So I'm a free market guy, and I just think it's crazy to not let kids operate in the free market. You know, um, well, so well, I, mean, your, I, I love it for the kids. Yeah, I mean, and to your point, like think about like David Green, Aaron Murray, yeah. like yeah. those guys. They all played. They played in the league for a couple of years, bounced around, but. The, you know, the careers that they've made since leaving college or leaving pro football, I think Greeny does, has an insurance company, sells insurance, and, I, and Aaron is in sales as well, obviously does the, the sports stuff, but he does stuff on the side as well. It's like they came back to Georgia because that's their market, right? Yeah. That, mm-hmm. that, their marketability is high here in, or there in the state of Georgia. And it's like, it's still high and they're both no longer playing. It's like, if they had the opportunity to maximize on that on their marketability as a college athlete when they're when it was at, at its peak, it's like who knows how much money they can make. And, yeah, and, I, and, that, and that's what's unique about the SEC, right? Is you have pro cult like fault cult like followings for these athletes, and they're all eighteen to twenty two, and then as soon as they leave, like you know, I haven't played football in years, but pe- you know, I still get to talk, do stuff like this. Because yeah. people value my insight, whether they should or not, because I played football in Georgia. And, and you know, that's to me is unique. That's why I love that's why I love playing in the SEC, because people care that much about it. The quote, it just means more. That's true. And, you know, there's a reason Paul Feinbaum makes seven figures a year you know, <laughs> right. taking crazy calls from people from all over the southeast. It's because, you know, people care about this stuff. And. That's why we hear about the guy at Tennessee or uh, JT Daniels doing this stuff with Zaxby's. It's like, I'm all for it. As long as they're, they're still going to class, they're doing right in the community and they're getting their, their, their shit done on the field and in the, in the classroom, it's like, Hey brother, all power to you or sister. Cause at this point, the girls are obviously doing the same thing in their sports. Well, you know, what's been cool about it. And this is what all the curmudgeons I think were wringing their hands about was, Oh, it's going to ruin college sports, man. I've seen more stories about college athletes across America using the NIL platform to do things for charity and to do things for incredible causes. than I've heard about kids getting a million bucks and buying a Ferrari or whatever. Right. Like it's, it's been awesome to see some of these stories, like even in George's program with the five guys on the football team that started the DGD fund. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I mean, it just, it's, it's cool stuff. And I, uh, I'm happy to see how things have played out. So it, it's been interesting to watch. Well, um, let's pick some games, man. Yeah, let's do I got, it. I got, uh, we got a pretty good slate here. Boss had some stuff going on tonight, so he gave me his pick. So I'll I'll lay those out too. He and I are in a little bit of a tussle as it pertains to the season long competition. So you got to bring the guest picker uh, quota up, though. All right, is it so, bad? <laughs> it's not bad. It's over five hundred. It's better than it was last year. I'll say that. Okay. Um, and seven and three is the number to tie or beat in the battle here for the ten pounds of red. Who got so, seven and three? <clears throat> So our buddy Zach Tully, who owns Augusta Golf Collective, got seven okay. and three. All right, and so we decided what we're going to do is if somebody ties seven and three, we're going to make them and Zach come back on SEC title week and pick the title game uh, slate as the tiebreaker. So okay. that's kind of where we're at. But um, yeah, it's been a bunch of people going six and four, but Zach has been clubhouse leader since week two at seven and three. So um, all right. First game of the week, Michigan at Penn State. It's essentially a pick 'em. Penn State's a half point favorite um, in Happy Valley. Who you liking that? Uh, I like I, my gut's telling me Michigan, so let's go Michigan. I've watched Penn State a couple times. I just don't know if Clifford's healthy yet or not, and that makes yeah. me worry. Yeah, Boss took Michigan too. I, I'm going to take them as well. I have been very out on Michigan all year. I think it's been bias from what they've been in past years but I, I did get to watch pretty much the entire michigan michigan state game and i will say i came away impressed not just with their defense and running game but i thought their quarterback played a good game they burnt michigan state uh with the tight end a lot actually um yeah. 
So I, I yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of starting to be a believer in Michigan. And I think if they can go into happy Valley and get a win, I think that's, that's big for, for their setting up, you know, a monster matchup in the game with Ohio state to end the year. So yeah, I'm going to take the Wolverines too. Um, all right. This one's interesting. I think it would have been a, a bigger game if Baylor could have taken care of some business last week, but Oklahoma going to Waco to play Baylor. Oklahoma is a five and a half point road favorite. Oklahoma still undefeated, but obviously the committee didn't respect them too much because uh, they're not even in the top six and they've looked underwhelming, but a little bit different now that Kayla Williams is a quarterback, but who you like in that one? I like Baylor. Yeah. Boss has Baylor too. Been this, on Baylor. This, is, this is an outright pick em. This is right. This is, you know, if Baylor wins and loses by three, I, we're still, they're covering, right? Right. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. I'm definitely taking Baylor. I, I, I don't quite, I love Caleb Williams. Don't entirely trust Oklahoma just yet. Baylor's going to be pissed off about the TCU. TCU played inspired with Patterson stepping down, you know, and, and I think the Big 12, I think Big 12 is probably going to have the most exciting finish down the stretch. Um, but I, I'm taking Baylor to cover that spread. Yeah, I've taken Baylor a bunch this year. I'm going to take them again. I like what Dave Aranda's doing there. I think they play good defense, which is not the MO of the Big 12, obviously. And I don't know, man, just something is off about that Oklahoma team. I can't put my finger on it, but they just, I don't know. I, I'll just say this. I had three siblings that went to KU. You can't be a national title contender and go to Lawrence, Kansas, and squeak one out against the Kansas Jayhawks in football. You just, it, you just can't do it, brother. So, I, they're, they're, yeah, not, not, not in the past six years. Maybe when Mangini, Mangini was, or Mangini. Yeah, and, that's right. Uh, and Todd Risi was the quarterback, but yeah, that was a long time Bowl. ago. They went to they Orange did. Bowl, though, coach. My my um, sister my sister was an undergrad then, so yeah she she was there. She she, she she probably had a blast, brother. Her let me think. Her I guess it was her sophomore year. They went like eleven and one and won the Orange Bowl, yeah. and then and then won the national title in basketball. Yes, uh, I told her was, I was, was Mario Ch- Mario Mario Chalmers. Chalmers. Yeah. yeah, Mario Chalmers. Yeah. And they beat yes. Derrick Rose, right? In Memphis. Oh yeah, Memphis. I mean, they sh- no no sh- no shot. They should have won that game. No, no, no. Cal, no. All right. Cal, Cal screwed the pooch on that thing. I mean, it was. But hey, we were a happy household because we were all rock chalk Jayhawking. So yeah, hundred percent. That's awesome. She, she was on Mass Street having the time of her life. So yeah, it was good. Um, all right, so we're all on Baylor. Next game is interesting. Uh, Mississippi State and the Cowbell Pirate Ship. Going to the Plains to play Auburn. Auburn is a four and a half point favorite. Uh, after the game last weekend, Coach Leach made a public call for uh, kickers to come out and try their hand. Yeah, he said it was mine. Yeah, which was a, a little bit aggressive. But um, yeah, who do you like in that one? You like Bo Nix and Auburn to rebound, or, or you think Will Rogers and the Bulldogs go in there and, and take care of business? Yeah, I actually like Auburn. Um, you know, I think they they laid a little bit of an egg last week, even though they had been playing really, really well. Um, I just don't entirely trust Mike Leach teams to be consistent. You know yep. what I mean? And I will say this about Harson, this guy that the coach Harson uh, at Auburn. Yeah, I I think he he's a no nonsense type dude. I think he understands that little things will ultimately build championships once you start doing them right day in and day out. Um, he calls out, he sees it. Uh, I think Bo Nix has gotten a lot better under Bobo's tutelage. Yep. Um, and I watched, I mean, Auburn's got some players now. That running back's a stud. Mm-hmm. They got the the Robertson guy who was at Georgia for a bit. Georgia could really use him right about now. Yeah. Um, so I like Auburn, um, but you know, it's kind of a it's kind of a crappy spread, four and a half. You know, I wish it was a five and a, or the you know three and a half, but. Yeah, I like I, I like Auburn. This is a funny one for Boss because he's super anti the Bo Nix experience. So he picked Auburn last week, and then A and M obviously like Dolly Wops him. So he's so snake bit on that. But then also he loves Mike Leach. <laughs> so he's like, "This is the easiest pick of the week for me. I'm taking Mississippi State. I'm not even thinking twice about it." So he's taking the Bulldogs. I, man, I I tell you, I I took Arkansas last week. Because I love what Coach Pittman's doing there. It was oh, a weird I took spread last week too. 
Yeah, it was a weird spread because they were like five and a half. And they didn't cover. They won. They didn't cover. Um, I don't know, man. I, I do like this Will Rogers kid. Seems to be a good player. I think he's a good fit for Mike Leach's offense. But they obviously got problems in special teams if they're having an open call by the head coach in a post-game press conference for kickers to come out and try their hand at it this week. So that makes me a little nervous. I also think Auburn is a different team on the plains than they are on the road. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, for sure. That's, historically, that's been the case. Yeah. I'm with you, though, man. It's a weird number. I'd feel way better about it if it was like two and a half. Yeah. One and a half, I'm a little up in the air about. But, yeah, I think I'm going to do it. I think I'm going to go with the Bo Nix experience this week. So, I'm, t- I'm taking the Tigers. God bless. Too. Let's do it. Yeah. I got to pick. I got to get some ground back on, on boss here. Okay. This is another interesting one. Purdue coming I off know. another monster win against a top five opponent. Got to go to the horseshoe in Columbus and play Ohio State. 19 and a half point favorites the Buckeyes are. Uh, they had, I would say, a little bit of an underwhelming performance against um, – who did they play last week? Nebraska? Is that Nebraska. The, yeah. The past two um, weeks they've had close games. They played, Penn State played them tough. Nebraska played them tough. They, but they the two weeks before that, they walloped Indiana and Maryland. Yeah, and I just – I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this Ohio State team, but I – I don't know. Where are you at on this? What do you think? You think they cover that or what? Uh, I, I like Purdue. I like Coach Brom. He, he, Coach Brom was at uh, Louisville before Petrino, and Louisville was cooking pretty good. Um, it was after. It was before. 19 and a half is a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> I'm going to go to Purdue to cover. Um. Uh, you know, I think Purdue is their role. They're, they're, they've had two years of a positive progression as a, as a program. I don't think they're going to upset them again. I think Ohio State is too alert based on what they've done previously. Yep. I'm saying what oh, Purdue's done. But I, I just can't see after the two weeks Ohio State's had, their defense still isn't like lights out like it has been in the past. I gotta go Purdue to cover at least 19 and a half is a lot, man. If it was 17 and a half, I'd probably go Ohio State, but I can't see that's basically a three touchdown spread. That's a lot. Purdue burned me last week. I was all in on the Spartans, all oh, in on no, Coach no, Tucker. No. I have Purdue last week. I, I love Coach Tucker, been all in on him all year. And it was a dude, it was like a two and a half point spread. I was like, what this? This seems like just stealing money. And boss was telling me, he's like, dude, I'm telling you, something stinks about that line. I do not like it. But so I'm I'm not getting burnt this week. I'm taking Purdue. I like him to cover that number. Boss is taking him too. Dude, their freaking quarterback threw for like 560 yards last week. Like they yeah. fling it. I mean and they, when they beat, was it who were they beat? Penn State was the first one? No, uh, who, who, Iowa. No, Iowa. Iowa. <laughs> I think they played, they had like a three quarterback system against Iowa. When they beat, yeah, them. and I'm pretty sure they're in the West. Meaning, like, so the, there's a weird Big Ten conference. Like they, they oh yeah, used, it, it used to be like legions or, or whatever, legend, it, legends and leaders. Yeah, and now it's like, <laughs> um, now it's like it's it's just East and West, which is kind of sh- crappy for because like the East is stacked. It's like Michigan State, Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State, and then the, yeah, the West is like a bunch of jabronis, but. Uh, well, dude, Wisconsin could still play in the Big Ten title game. Minnesota could up until last week, I'm pretty sure. Well, they got a big one this week, and they're the next pick. Yeah, the Iron, right? So, yeah, all right. So we're all on Purdue. And now this one I have to highlight because I did some deep, deep digging research on this. I'm a big fan. We're big fans on this show of rivalry trophy games, okay? okay. The Minnesota-Iowa game is played for the Floyd of Rosedale Trophy. Now, brother, the Floyd of Rosedale Trophy is a gigantic bronze pig, okay? And this all stems back from, like, 1935. Apparently, the governors of Minnesota and Iowa were just having a war of words back and forth and ended up making a wager on the game. And the loser had to provide the winner with a prize pig. Well... Dude, there's all this history around it. I can't tell you the whole story. I'll screw it up. But apparently people got all up in arms about these two politicians making a wager and saying it was improper. So then they had to donate the pig somewhere. And the pig apparently wasn't vaccinated. You talk about being relevant to today's age, day and age. Pig wasn't vaccinated and died on the farm. It was done. It was a whole thing. 
So anyways, the pig was named Floyd and he came from the Rosedale farm. So the trophy became the Floyd of Rosedale trophy. The Midwest is a wild place, man. It's a, it's a wild place, brother. So they, that's what they're playing for. They are playing for a gigantic pig trophy this weekend, my friend, which if you can't get behind that, then I don't know what to tell you. So Minnesota playing Iowa. Iowa is a five and a half point favorite. I can't tell you who Iowa is anymore. I yeah, thought they no were going to no idea who they are, but I do love me some PJ Fleck and row the boat. So where you sit on this? I kind of want to go Minnesota, but. I'm looking at the standings right now of the Big Ten West. I mean, it's atrocious, but it's a four-way tie between Iowa, Purdue, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. And honestly, Illinois might be able to – no, they they, they left four left. Okay. Yeah. Uh, All right. I – it's five and a – it was five and a half. I'm going to go Minnesota. I love it. I'm going to go Minnesota. I think I will probably win, but it'll be by like two points. I'm just going to narrate for my co-host who's not here. He's taking Minnesota. But (laughs) what what he would say if he was here is, I don't even know why we're wasting time with you giving analysis. I know what you're going to pick. I am the biggest PJ Flex stand in all of America. Like, I love it. You like that double wisdom? A lot, dude. He he ties an excellent knot. I mean, he always looks electric. I'm all about the row the boat. I I, I there has to be something going on that I don't understand. He's never a guy that is mentioned when a big job comes open. Like, dude, he went to Western Michigan. They were undefeated. He's at Minnesota, where football has been irrelevant, and he's building something there. Like. Why don't we think this guy could recruit if you stuck him in LA at USC or in Baton Rouge at LSU? Like, I, I don't get it. What am I missing? I don't know. I love. I, I think I think his name will come up for the USC job, but probably part of the reason is his buyout's pretty stern. I think he got he got a raise at, two years ago. He yes. went from like three to six and a half. I think he makes like in the same ballpark as like not Kirby, but just below. Like he's like a five and a half, six guy now, which is kind of crazy yes. if you think about it for Minnesota. But um, yeah, I'm gonna go to Minnesota. I think I think that's the play. Yeah, I'm taking them. I, I love them off a loss too. Like you know, they come in, they're ranked in the top twenty, and you know, get beat last week. But I, I like them coming off a loss. I like what PJ's doing there. Um, so yeah, I'm taking the Golden Gophers too. <laughs> All right, this is kind of a spicy game for me. Texas A&M going to to Oxford to play Ole Miss. Um, Ole Miss beat Liberty last week. I think a lot of crazy things have to happen for Ole Miss to actually represent the West in the SC title game, but it could happen. Texas A&M, though, really all they need is Auburn or Arkansas to knock off Bama, and if A&M wins out, I think they go to Atlanta. I think that's what the path is. Yeah, I'm taking Ole Miss. You like them? I like I love I, I think what's his name? Obviously Jordan Davis is a hell of a player. I think what's his name? The grittiest, toughest player in America. Um, Matt Corral. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. I watched him against play Tennessee. I, I mean, the Auburn game, he was just beat to shit and he just yeah. kept coming back and balling out. Um I like Ole Miss, but AM's good. Uh, but I'm I'm taking Ole Miss. Outright win. Boss is taking AM. Okay. I do not I do not like AM. I haven't liked them all year. Haven't really picked them all year. I don't plan on changing that this week. I am also going hotty toddy. Um, got to. I just I, I don't think if you could score points on AM, they do not have the offensive juice to keep up. And look, this game ain't in college station. So I just I, I think they're gonna have a party, big old party at the Grove post game. And uh yeah, I like the Rebels in this one. Um, okay, this is another interesting one because I was all in on Wake. I love Sam I was Hartman. all in on Wake, too. I killed yeah. me last week. Uh, kill me, man. I couldn't. Well, also, how weird is it that that was not a conference game? Weird. Yeah, I, from my understanding, they booked it because they wanted – because they're not in the same division. Yep. They, they want the Carolina schools to play each other more. Yep. 
I don't know. It doesn't make any sense, but it is what it is. It kind of bit them in the ass booking that, but he did. Yeah. So NC State, Dave Doran's got them playing pretty good football this year. Going to Winston-Salem, Wake's a two-and-a-half-point favorite. What do you think? I want to go Wake, but something tells me NC State's going to, like, roll them. Um, we haven't had NC State on the card a lot this year. We had them the week that they beat Clemson, and they burnt Boss and I. We both took Clemson. Uh, boss is taking Wake. Um I'm so conflicted on this. I love what Wake does offensively. They score oh, yeah, points. They, sl- they spit it, man. They score oh, points. It's incredible. Plus, dude, the Hartman kid, I've told this story in here before, but I'll tell you in case you don't know. He was on season two of uh, QB1 on Netflix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, right, right. So he played for a school down here in Charleston called Oceanside Academy for Coach Greer, who is Will Greer's dad. Got it. Yep. yep yeah. Okay. So, dude, he's a good player, man. And just seems like the guys like to play for him to your point earlier. Like, I just think they, they bought into him and God, man, what he hit? He still had what? Seven touchdowns last week or something, or maybe it was week before. I'm mean, right, taking- you taught me into, I'm taking Wake. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm taking him, man. I think they're going to rebound and, and, and win. Um, yeah, I'm, I've been on them all year. Plus, I mean, Wake, Wake got one of the more underrated logos in all of college sports. Oh, dude, Wake used to be like, I mean, football's always been eh, but I don't know what happened to their basketball program, but they used to be legit at basketball, too, with the dopest basketball jerseys. And Dude, Tim Duncan. Um, Chris Paul. Chris Paul, yeah. They, they got a lot of good basketball history, man. A lot of good basketball history. Um, yeah, I like Wake. Also, my, uh, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law live in Winston-Salem and are season ticket holders at Wake. So I'm a little biased. I'm picking with them. Yeah, this we do. We're all, I'm all in with you. Wake Forest, let's go. <laughs> all right. Uh, Notre Dame going to Charlottesville to play Wahoo Wah. Uh, Notre Dame is a four-and-a-half-point road favorite. Notre Dame has kind of seemed to find their footing and figure out who they are, although I'm still not 100% sold on their offense. This kid at UVA for the first time and seemingly since, uh, since Mike Groh was there. Um, they got somebody that can spin it a little bit. This Brandon Armstrong kid can fling it, man. Micro. Um, yeah, that was a, that's a blast from the past, huh? That's a blast from the past. His dad um, recruited me. Al did? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, now, I gotta, now I'm looking up the Virginia Cavaliers, 6-3. The they, they just put up like 45 points at BYU. BYU beat them because I think BYU scored 52. But, uh, yeah, they've been an interesting pick this year. Just because they they score, man, which is funny for a Bronco Mendenhall team. I feel like it's not their personality, but um, yeah. What do you think yeah. on this? I like Notre Dame, and I'm also pulling for Notre Dame to win out because I want I want to see Cincinnati in the Final Four because we need to get a non Power Five in there. Um, and one thing's gonna either happen either. Since he's going to play balls to the wall like they did against Georgia last year, maybe pull out a win, or they're going to get blown out, and then we can all stop talking about the Power Five, you know, deserving a place, right? And the the better Notre Dame does, the the more leeway since he has with the with the uh, committee. So I'm I'm going Notre Dame, and I also I think. Notre Dame fans annoy the hell out of me. They think they, you know, they think they're God's gift to earth, but I really do like Brian Kelly. I think he's a hell of a coach. You, you say that like maybe you have some ties to Boston College. <laughs> yeah. They're, yeah. They're all ridiculous. Oh, I love that. Um, yeah. They also burned me on a bet last year. I took BC money line. I was like, this is a lock of a century last year. <laughs> got in a hole pretty bad oh that's fantastic um but, i'm very yeah. I'm, I'm very conflicted on this boss has taken uva he's been on uva all year he, he loves this armstrong kid he drops it on me one me he's like who's the leading passer in all of college football and i'm like i don't yeah, know I'm, dude i'm looking he's, at it right now he's like brandon armstrong i'm like who <laughs> he's like quarterback at uva i'm like bullshit no way so yeah that yeah it, it's been interesting I have a life rule. Boss would tell you this too. I don't pick UVA in anything because they're bound to blow it. Um, 
and I've stayed true to that except for one game this year, but I'm picking Notre Dame too. I also have a bit of a soft spot for Notre Dame since we went up and saw him play Georgia. Uh, when yeah, Georgia I, was went pretty, up. I was at that game. How awesome was that? Pretty sweet. You're talking and about you at Notre Dame, right? At Notre Dame, yeah. Yeah, I, I've been to South Bend. It's a cool place, man. I mean, South Bend was, itself sucks, but this, the stadium and, and the campus is pretty surreal. That's the perfect way to put it. That's exactly right. South Bend yeah. itself, not not great. <laughs> no, but no, it's like it's like uh, it's like if you put UGA and make it. South Bend, we were so I, I had never been. We flew in Chicago, drive over to South Bend Thursday night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We like go to Rocco's and eat pizza, which was great. And then we get up Thursday to kind of see the camp or Friday to see the campus. I don't know that I've ever had a better on-campus experience in a place not named Athens, Georgia. Like, yeah, it's a, people it's a pretty were, spot. Oh, it's incredible. I just thought too, like they were bending over backwards to make sure you were like having a good day. It was incredible. So yeah, I'm taking note of it. That's the long and short of it. Okay. okay. Another rivalry trophy. One of my favorite rivalry trophies, the battle for the golden boot. Arkansas and the fighting Sam Pittman's going to Baton Rouge and Death Valley to play LSU in a night game. LSU seems to be playing with house money a little bit. I mean, they damn sure should have beat Alabama last week. In all honesty, if they could have gotten anything going on offense. Um, but Arkansas is two and a half point road favorite. Where are you sitting on this one? I'm taking Arkansas. Uh, and here's why. I think Arkansas, I, I think it's not a fluke what Sam Pittman did in the first half of the um, season or the first month of the season, right? That was September. Yeah. Um, they they got off balance when their quarterback kind of got knocked out of the game against Auburn. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he was 100% for – I'm not taking away what Georgia did against them. I'm just saying that it took him a while to get healthy. And then and now, you know, they won last week, um, which was a big win for them. They're bowl eligible. They're 6-3. and three. I think LSU, they – in my opinion, they took every last shot they had in Alabama last week, and Alabama just still outlasted them. They know origins out. Uh, yeah, I think it's um, I think it's a lost cause over there in Baton Rouge. I like Arkansas. Boss taking Arkansas too. He loves Coach Pittman. Um, I, I'm with y'all. I'm taking Pig Suey as well. I think that Arkansas has got a lot to play for. And LSU does not. Um, and I think at this point that matters. I think you bring up a great point, too. I think they shot off the rest of the fireworks last weekend. I think that was it. I don't think there's anything left in the stockade anymore. Uh, I just mm. I just, I don't see it. Plus, the other problem is even given that, and that's a, uh, obviously a monster rivalry game for them, and I'm pretty sure they were coming off a bye week, so a lot to prepare. Did They just they can't score the football. They scored 14 points. Like – I, I know I it's too know. bad. I, 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 it's too bad because they have so much damn talent, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. if they get the right man in LSU, watch out. And I don't mean like stri- strike a lightning type guy like with the, they have with less. And I mean like a, you know, a competent year in year out serious dude who knows how to recruit. You know, in hires the right people around him. It's like LSU is just a sleeping – it's not a sleeping giant because it's already a giant, but it's like it's basically a giant that's just been abused. No one's been taking care of it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like, yeah. It's just like every every couple of years, it's like it, – it, it strikes gold. But, I mean, the last three coaches, there are three different coaches in the past 15 years have won national championships. It's insane. <laughs> Yeah, it's insane. Well, you're you're never going to have a problem from a resource perspective. Never. You are. You're never going to lose a top recruit in the state of Louisiana. Nope. Um, I just I'm with you, man. I, I think if they make the right hire, God, they could they could just be a force. I tell you, I'd go get. And, and they're not even really talking about him a lot. Man, I, I like Billy Napier. Like I like what he does. I don't. I don't I do, know. I'm I feel like you. they'd be a good fit. I like Napier too. I like him a lot. There's a couple guys out there that uh, you know we can have a whole other podcast about this. I love coaching speculation. Um, Napier's a guy. You know, I I love Mel Tucker, man. 
I don't oh, know if yeah. he's going to go because it's only been two years. But you talk about a, you know, a seasoned head coach, mm-hmm. sa- saving the uh, disciple, mm-hmm. African American, former player, mm-hmm. knows football, knows how to recruit, a serious guy, hires the right people. You know, it's, I don't know if they'll go after him, but I know they're saying like, um, Do- they're saying Dabo Sweeney's an option and, and, uh, the um, Fisher, but you know, I think you got to think a little bit outside the box. And if I'm, if I'm either of those guys, I never leave where I'm at. I'd be just no. stupid. So we've had uh, Aaron Davis on a couple times. Love Aaron, mm-hmm. and Aaron told us that Coach Tucker's the favorite coach he ever played for in yeah. all of Oregon. Doesn't surprise football. me. Doesn't surprise yeah. me. And <laughs> once he told us that, we were kind of like, yeah, that that's meaningful. Because oh yeah I, for sure yeah Aaron wouldn't just like say that lightly and then the more he, I've started to consume him since then and the thing I love about him is dude he's a he's a big time mindset guy like oh yeah 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 for sure you you like hear him talk and he's saying stuff like about having neutral mind and uh, dude he's you could tell why guys would line up and want to play for him like no doubt yeah no doubt yeah yeah all right big one this is the one we're here for go dogs. Heading to heading to Knoxville, play the hated Vols in Neyland. It's going to be rocking three thirty, SEC game of the week. Dogs are nineteen and a half point favorites. Does that number seem too big? You said thirty eight fourteen. That that would cover that, right? Is my, is my math it? right on that? Fourteen six. Now, uh, what would forty one fourteen be? Uh, oh yeah, yeah. No, forty one fourteen is big time cover. 38-14 would even come. Yeah, I'm taking Georgia. I'm bad at math, which is bad because I'm in finance, so I'm punning by that. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, dude, dogs, I like. It might be like a backdoor cover, you know? Um, I guess it wouldn't make sense. Yeah, they'd probably maybe score at the end or something. Uh, Georgia would to like go up to 95, but I, yeah, I can't see – I think it's going to be like a 38-14 game, 41-14. I think it could be easily 24-14 at half. Kind of a scenario that happened at Florida, and then all of a sudden, like, the defense just is overwhelming. And Tennessee's like, shit, like, there's nothing we can do. I mean, the Florida game was looked like it was embarrassing for Florida to end up being embarrassing, but it was, what, 3-0 with yeah. and it happened his left, and all of a sudden the Georgia defense is like, all right, we're going to wake up and kill somebody. And they kill yeah. multiple people in a two-minute period. 21 points in two minutes and nine seconds. It's insane. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's been it's a wild year. Yeah. Boss is taking them, too. Um, I mean, me and Boss are obviously gigantic homers. We take them every week. But I will say this. I, I'm very interested. It's been two straight weeks of them having sluggish starts. They were sluggish to open... The cocktail party, which surprised me a bit, they were sluggish, I thought, last week against Mizzou. I mean, look, they dump truck Mizzou. They dump truck Florida. But, you know, they didn't come out like fireworks, right? Mm-hmm. So this is, if you really analyze it, only their second road game of the year. I don't count Vanderbilt. So really, they've only played on the plates. And it's going to be 100-plus thousand people there going wild. I'm interested to see how they come out. I'm interested to see how they handle it. I'm interested to see all of it. Um, I think the defense is the neutralizer, though. I just think that's the that's the trump card everywhere. I, you know, even if Georgia's offense comes out and sputters a little bit to start, I just I don't think Tennessee's going to score any points. I I just think that defense is so maniacal about keeping people out of the end zone that I don't know. Like, dude, did you see last weekend at the end of the game? Uh, they play Missouri's calling timeouts to try and score at the end and Georgia's like second and third team guys are in and the first team defense was at the far end in the end zone where Mizzou was trying to go in like very intently taking in the action and like celebrating each time they got to stop like I mean I just think unit to unit whether it's first team second team third team dude, they just don't want nobody to score I never seen no, like no. It. I tell you it's a mindset man and I you got to give. I mean, obviously, it starts from the top. The Kirby Smart, but 
that Dan Lanning man, he's going to be a hell of a head coach. I don't know where he's going to go, but you know, he's going to be hey, this time next year. He'll probably have a team humming. So yeah, I'm gonna. We should appreciate him while we got him. Yeah, I'm with you on that, man. All right, well, we're all on the dogs. I like your picks this week. If you have a good week, it means I have a good week because I got a lot of the same picks as you. Yeah, so, I, say, I think we're damn near identical. I'm rooting right. for you. <laughs> okay, likewise. All right. All right, brother. Well, thanks for spending some time with us. Thanks for giving your insight. And uh, congratulations on completing the New York City Marathon. That's a big achievement, man. That's awesome. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. And uh, if anyone's interested in the, um, in the charity, it's called Haymakers for Hope. Uh, if you live in Boston, New York, D.C., Chicago, or one of the West Coast cities, they got events, boxing events and running events in all of them. So uh, check it out. And uh, if, you, if you're feeling frisky, you can donate at the website. But uh, appreciate the time, man. Looking forward to chatting next. And uh, go dogs. Go dogs, brother. Yeah, we'll link everything for, uh, for Hayma- Haymakers for Hope, right? Haymakers for Hope. Yeah, yep. we'll, we'll, we'll put all that in show notes, and we'll also put it in all our social posts. So if you guys are listening, go in there and hit the link and go check everything out. Make a donation. All right, guys. All go right. dogs. Appreciate it, guys. Go dogs. Hey, George is better now.